0: Welcome to Beat Cancer, the official podcast of the UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center. Thanks for joining us today as we have in-depth discussions of the science, research, and advancements taking place at our National Cancer Institute-designated Comprehensive Cancer Center. I'm Chris Joyce, and joining us today is Dr. Mamta Parikh, a medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of genitourinary malignancies, including bladder cancer, kidney cancer, prostate, and testicular cancer. Also joining us today are Jesse and Beverly Campbell. Jesse is a patient of Dr. Parikh's and is here to discuss their experience participating in cancer clinical trials. Welcome.
1: All right, thank you for um, having us on this podcast, Christian. So, um, the the reason that we decided to all meet today uh, is that Mr. Campbell is one of the pa- one of my first patients at UC Davis with urothelial cancer, um, and we wanted to talk about his journey as a patient, as well as Ms. Campbell's journey as a patient's uh, support system and wife. Um, So, uh, Jesse, Mr. Campbell, would you like to start by telling us when you were first diagnosed with urothelial cancer, if you can remember, because it's been a while. As his caregiver,
2: (laughs) sort of, (laughs) I'm responsible for keeping track of dates appointments and other such things so he actually was diagnosed in early 2013 uh, with uh, bladder cancer at the beginning and at the time we weren't quite sure how it happened and in uh, October of 2012 he started losing weight unexpectedly and he's not a lot overweight anyway and then in January we He woke up in the middle of the night with blood in his urine. And through several different experiences with his urologist, um, they determined that we needed to see an oncologist. And in my own way of thinking about things, I was more interested, and I did a lot of research on looking for uh, maybe a center or a clinic where there would be multiple professionals involved bringing their latest Experiences and knowledge, and working as a team to help him. Answering in a Mm -hmm. long answer on a short question, we actually he actually got connected up in early 2013, and that's when he got his diagnosis. Yeah,
1: that's great. And um, Mrs. Campbell has been a, a very important chronicler of Mr. Campbell's journey through the years. Mr. Campbell, do you remember this uh, undergoing surgery and the first chemotherapy that you got for this? I do, very well. Do you want to tell us about your experience with the surgery?
3: Well, there's not much experience. You're kind of asleep. <laughs> uh,
1: How about the recovery process after well, the surgery?
3: I wasn't afraid per se. I was a little nervous, not ever having this done before, and you use the word cancer. That's that's. That's a pretty heavy word, especially when you have it. Mm-hmm. The surgery itself wasn't was, was it that bad. Afterwards, yes, it was bad. Uh, I lost a kidney. The worst pain, if you will, of the whole thing was the shots, getting hooked up to the, I call it a lifeline, I don't know <laughs> what it is, but then the recovery system wasn't that bad and then you start the chemo which i've heard a lot of bad stories about chemo so yes i'm dreading it somewhat once again there's no pain uh but your mind your mind creates a lot of pain within yourself that you're not ready to deal with so me and my mind had some very very good conversations (laughs) and uh to stay off to stay off the I'm going to die side, which is the utmost thing on your mind or anybody's mind, I would think. But uh, after after going through this while, it became old hat, so to speak, and uh, got to know the people, the people who are, are supporting the patients, the people that work there, and I got my good support system over here, mm-hmm. Beverly Campbell, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you remember any side effects from the chemotherapy that you first got when you were treated initially?
3: Side so, effects? Uh, not at first, but different different treatments brought on different feelings within your body. And uh, the, the main one, the worst one, was sickness at, of your stomach, you know. I started breaking out a little bit with little bumps all over my body Mm. and itch like crazy. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So the first chemotherapy that you got was a type of treatment called MVAC, which is, uh, and contains a drug called cisplatin and it's our oldest treatment for the type of cancer that you have. Um, And it's a very effective treatment, but it comes with a lot of side effects, and one of them is nausea and vomiting is a well-known side effect that comes with that, which I know that you had some of. When that's, you know, you had gotten that treatment, and then later on you got another type of treatment called Paclitaxel, um, which was another drug that we had at our disposal at that time, Uh, and you... That When I met you, that was the drug that you were actually on, um, and then that stopped working as well. I recall that you didn't have very many side effects from that chemotherapy, but it just wasn't working very well for you.
2: Yeah, we would anxiously await results from PET scans and CTs to see if there was a decline in the number of and size of of the cancer cells, but it didn't work out. I remember... I remember clearly, and I think you should remember this too, when Dr. Parikh said, it appears as though you are Mm chemo-resistant and there's no place else to go, but one option, and the option wasn't good. It was like a 5% possibility of success, and we can try it or... You can go forth and live your life the best you can for what's left of it. Do you remember that? hmm Scary, huh? Very much. And we decided not to do it. Yeah. Because you've been through so much.
3: So isn't that when you told me there's nothing else?
1: Yeah. So at that time, we really didn't have very many treatment options for this type of cancer. So we had talked about treating you again with the Mvac that you had received in the past but because it's a very toxic drug we were worried about the side effects it could cause you or treating you with a drug that had like Mrs. Campbell mentioned a very low chance of mm-hmm. working and those were the only options we had for this type of cancer at that time mm-hmm. and so we opted together to not pursue any treatment for a little while and our fortune was that your cancer while it had spread was spreading very slowly so we spent some time just watching Mm -hmm. how the cancer was doing and i i'm interested to hear your thoughts about that because it must have been somewhat anxiety provoking Mm -hmm. to have to wait every couple months to see what a scan shows when you're not on any treatment Mm
3: -hmm. well this whole trip has been full of anxieties
1: yeah (laughs)
3: Unexperienced anxieties, f- where I'm concerned. Like I say, I've never had to worry about anything like this. I've never been around anybody that had this. And I didn't know what was going to happen to me next. Um,
2: There's so but, many bad stories, too, about chemo. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: yeah. yeah, I've heard all these stories about chemo, and some of them are true. I've never experienced the others. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think. I think the most annoying results of one of the treatments—I don't know if I'm getting ahead of this program or not—but was when I was accepted on the uh,
1: the clinical, clinical trial
3: care, clinical trial, and you told me this may happen: itching. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! I thought I was going crazy, folks. <laughs> uh, and we, my doctor. Best doctor in the world,
2: <laughs>
3: Doctor Paree. <Parikh. laughs> yes. In <laughs> uh, knowing this was going to happen, I don't know if she might have made plans for it, but there was a treatment she gave me which I could live with the itching.
1: Yeah, and it, it's a side effect that um, we kind of take for granted as physicians. It seems like a minor side effect, but for an individual patient, it can be a really big deal. So. As you mentioned, you know we had gone for some time where we didn't give you any treatment, and then we had some active clinical research that was going on at UC Davis, and there were two trials that we were actually considering you for. I don't know how much of this you remember because it was actually quite a while ago now, um, but one of the trials involved looking for a particular mutation that your cancer could have had in the tissue, and. So there was a screening process for that trial that you participated in, which was very anxiety provoking too, as I recall, because there was a whole process of waiting. And at the end of that, you didn't actually have the mutation that was needed. That's a mutation called FGFR2 or 3, and you didn't have that mutation. So in the end, it was a lot of time spent going through the screening process only to not receive any treatment. I don't know if you all recall that process, Mrs. Campbell. I think you do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think we pretty much went, it was like September to March of that year. I think it was seven years ago, Mm -hmm. Dr. Preak, because he had the chemo was for three years, Mm -hmm. and then it didn't work. And then we had that long wait, uh, and it was in my mind and i think yours too it was a m- miracle that he got on a clinical trial so.
1: yeah so after after not qualifying for the first clinical trial there was another clinical trial that you actually did qualify which is mm-hmm. for which is the the treatment that mrs campbell's talking about so that was a trial that combined a new type of treatment called immune therapy or pembrolizumab with chemotherapy. And the chemotherapy that you got was a chemo drug called docetaxel. The
3: drug is MLK3475.
1: Yes, the old, name for the, <laughs> the old name for pembrolizumab was MK3475. <laughs> it's also now known as Keytruda. It has a lot of different names. But oh, is that? Yes, I but at that time it that. was not yet um, approved for treating bladder cancer or urethelial cancer, but we had some idea that it might work in that area. And so that's the treatment that you were receiving because we had started a, a choice, trial. Choice, wasn't it? And so we moved forward and you actually finished all six cycles of the treatment that were part of the trial of getting the chemotherapy for six cycles. But you did mention um, the chemotherapy, I think, had caused a little bit of numbness, tingling, when you were getting the chemo. And then on top of that, the rash and the itching was a real issue that was due to the pembrolizumab or the MK3475. <laughs> so you finished almost two years of the, that immune therapy drug. And at that point, it actually wasn't clear if all of the cancer was gone or not, but you had had a good response to treatment. And you were having the itching and the rashes. And um, we, again, stopped treatment and decided to just watch things. And that was... I remember that. Yeah.
3: Isn't it odd, though, from the cancer itself, I have never had any pain from the cancer. Yeah. I thought cancer was the ultimate thing to have, the worst thing you could have pain-wise. And I guess in some cases it is. But it never hurt me.
1: And I think that's an excellent I mean, Everything
3: else hurt.
1: <laughs> that's an excellent point that you raise, actually, is that a lot of times people don't have symptoms from their cancer. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons that cancer often is diagnosed when the cancer is already spread to other places, because a lot of times people don't have symptoms until things are more advanced. Mm-hmm. And it's also why the treatments are sometimes tough because sometimes the treatments seem worse than the disease itself because if you don't have any symptoms from your cancer and then I'm giving you drugs that cause you to itch uncontrollably or have nausea or numbness, tingling, that that is hard to mentally wrap your head around, I suppose.
2: I think one of the things too that's really important and as Dr. Preak knows, because she's part of it, people, after they realized that he doesn't have measurable cancer on the tests that you are having to take still, just the importance of all of your support groups that get you to that point. I mean, all of the family. and But with all of this going on and then being able to to talk about how you don't have measurable cancer anymore. It doesn't mean it's gone, I know that. But it's not showing up. He's not having any effects from it. Um is people said to us, you should write a book about this. So we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Dr. <laughs> Freek's <right>. in it. <laughs> I have the she, copy <laughs> He talked and I wrote as fast as I could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But,
3: I'm sure I'm sure there's folks out there that had much much Worse uh, events by treating their cancer than I did. Mine's bad enough. I don't want any more.
1: <laughs> well, it is really something, you know, it's been over a decade since you first got that diagnosis of stage four yeah. bladder cancer or urothelial cancer. And um, like you said, not- this doesn't work out for everyone. Stage four urothelial cancer is still not a curable disease. Mm-hmm. But um, some patients do have really good responses to treatment, especially um, you happen to have metastatic disease that progressed at just the time when our field was suddenly having more research advances. And so we were able to get you on a trial that ended up with you having a very good response to treatment. And it's actually been five years since you've had any treatment and there hasn't been any signs of the cancer misbehaving since then but in those five years or 10 years now the field of treating this type of cancer has changed completely um Drugs like Keytruda have changed the treatment for bladder cancer, but also there are newer drugs called antibody drug conjugates that have also started to be used for this type of cancer. So the field is rapidly evolving. um, And so there's more and more options for patients, even for patients whose cancer comes back later on. So um, I think there's a lot of hope to be had about this type of disease. And sometimes timing is just is just everything. I'm interested in hearing about support systems that you all have, um, either from your family or from other support groups that you've participated in. Can you tell us anything about that experience for you over the last decade? What's been helpful and what hasn't been? Well,
3: all the above. My family, number one, they. They're great, do anything for me, make me feel good. They make me, They can make me mad, but not for long. Okay. <laughs> I get to feeling sorry for myself. They slap me around a little bit, and I'm out of it. Uh, my friends at the coffee shop, they call a spade a spade. They're my friends, my mm-hmm. buddies, and they don't mince with words. They tell you how it is, whether you like it or not. And sometimes I like it, and sometimes I don't. I use it or I don't and all of my doctors all the people i see in the medical field they're all they've all been super support
2: this whole adventure has been an adventure Mm -hmm. and i think one other thing i'd like to add is kind of the support system Mm -hmm. or kind of mini caregiver because It's like when they say in high school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nursing did not make my list, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just to give you a little background. Well, there's things they expect you to do when at home that I'm afraid of. I don't know what to do.
1: What kind of things were asked of you? Because you've been through this journey with Mr. Campbell the entire time. Yes. So I'm very curious to hear what kind of things you were asked to do. was...
2: Oh, uh, I think it was with the fungal infection. He mm-hmm. had to have a little shot every day, and it was just a little tiny needle. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying, "Come in here. We'll show you how to do this. I said, it's not happening. <laughs> I, it is not happening. I cannot puncture skin <laughs> with anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't even able good with the kids when they got hurt. I always call him, and so that was one. So he wound up doing it himself. He because he didn't mind doing it, but I, you know, it's an instant panic because it's like you're gonna. Break something
1: or hurt someone Mrs. Campbell, can you tell us about uh, what it was like when Mr. Campbell was going through the clinical trial in terms of the treatments and how much you were having to look after him during that time as well, if you recall?
2: Well, it wasn't too bad because he he didn't have a lot of different things taking place that were unusual, but overall it it was difficult when he would get really sick. That was the most difficult times. And so um, I guess it's just keeping your mind occupied and having a positive feeling about it.
1: Well, is there anything that you would like to share with people about what this has been like for you that we haven't talked about that you think is important for people to know about?
3: Whatever you have, sickness you have, if if it, you build it in your own brain, what it is or what it that. And then you 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 re- accept it or you reject it. What am I gonna do with it? I don't know. Well maybe it, your your mind goes nine nine different ways. Be realistic about it and trust your own judgment and don't be foolish about your own judgment. I was foolish about mine. I can do anything. I cannot do anything. Nobody can. Uh, be as strong as you can and be, be honest. It's a serious situation to be in,
1: guys. I think you all really exemplify how cancer is really not just about one person it's not just about the patient it affects everyone in their lives and changes everyone's lives in different ways Um, but it sounds like you all have been very fortunate in having really great support system which makes a huge Mm -hmm. difference Um, and we've been fortunate to have a good outcome in terms of your treatment thus far too
3: I know that daily
1: Yeah. yeah yeah so very appreciative that- i really want to thank you both for sharing all of this with us i'm
3: sure when we get home we'll
0: think of things that we wish you to say.
1: okay we can talk about that at our next appointment yes, right. <laughs> like
0: right now who's buying lunch <laughs> no. all right well thank you for tuning in with us today if you'd like to get in touch with us you can email us directly at beatcancer at ucdavis.edu BEAT CANCER is a production of the UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center. For more information on our NCI-designated Comprehensive Cancer Center, please visit health.ucdavis.edu slash cancer.